Psalm 99, almost two-thirds of the way through the Psalms. We've been saying this for a little bit now, but if you have read Psalm 99 before you got here tonight, then you can uh, detect some similarities between what we've been going through. These psalms that are focused on God and who He is and lifting Him up and exalting Him. So Psalm 99, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment or justice. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They call upon the Lord, and He answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept His testimonies and the ordinance that He gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though Thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy." So, short psalm, not very long at all, nine verses here. Uh, It begins like many others. The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. Talking about the sovereignty of God, the fact that He reigns over heaven and earth. But this one really, it has a, uh, a, a, a repeated little refrain that gives us a little bit of insight as to what it is that the psalmist is trying to drive home. What it is that the psalmist is zeroing in on when it comes to uh, this different aspect of God that he's seeking to meditate or stir up meditations on. And that's uh, the, the, the phrase that's repeated um, three times in the psalm at the end of verse 3, uh, for it is holy. That would be his name. End of verse 5, for he is holy. End of verse 9, for the Lord our God is holy. And so whenever we're looking at Psalm 99, this thread of God's holiness goes all the way through. Uh, I'm going to title it, Exalt Our Holy God. That's what the psalm is uh, seeking to stir us up to do in our hearts and in our minds and in our worship. We're called to not just, uh, as with any of these any of these psalms in, in poetry and these kinds of things, it's not... Uh, it's not a, a list of what does it mean for God to be holy. It's a declaration that God is holy, and then it's a um, it's a it's a call for us to exalt that holy God for for His holiness to impact how we approach Him, how we worship Him, how we understand Him. So Psalm ninety nine is a psalm about how we view our holy God, and it's also a psalm about how we approach our holy God. And this is the reason why God has revealed this 
thing or really anything else about himself to us. It's that we we might view the one true and living God as he really is. And how would we know how he really is if he had not revealed that to us? And then when he reveals that, it's always headed toward the purpose of how do we approach him in light of this reality? How do we understand his workings, his dealings in light of this reality? How do we understand our standing before him in light of this reality? So we're thinking about holiness tonight, particularly about holiness as it relates to God's person and God's character. There's, we could look at this psalm in different ways. I'm going to give it three different divisions. Verses 1 through 3, see a holy God... Four through five, his holy character, and then six through nine, his holy people. So starting with a holy God, a holy God, verses one through three, the Lord reigneth, but the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. So this psalm begins with a declaration that God is reigning and the people should tremble. Why? Well, whenever we think about God's holiness, God's holiness is is one of those attributes of His that should make us, and we see references to this in this psalm a couple of different times, should make us stand in awe of who God is. God's holiness, just the the basic idea of holiness, just means that someone or something is set apart. So for God to be holy, we can fill in, and we will in just a second, a few more details here, but just at its basic level is God is set apart. He's something far different than what you're used to. Um, He's something far different than what you are. And so as we think about this holiness of God, number one, we're called to tremble at the fact that He reigns as we come before Him. We're, we're to praise His great and terrible name. That The word terrible there really just is, is indication that we should stand in reverence. We should stand in awe. We're, we're not on familiar territory, familiar ground. Really, this trembling at His reign and, and praising His great and terrible name is uh, illustrated very well whenever God comes to Moses in the burning bush and He says, take your shoes off your feet because you are on holy ground. In other words, this is not like a normal place. You're, you're in the presence of someone you've never stood before. And so take your feet off. This is different. I'm different. And so he's a holy God. He's a holy God. Well, we get a couple of, um, a couple of details here as far as what that, what that means for us, biblically speaking. Look in Isaiah. Um, Start in Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. Whenever we think about God being set apart, Isaiah 46 verse 5, He asked, this is the Lord, to whom will you liken me? 
and make me equal and compare me that we may be like or alike. The Lord says, who are you going to compare me to? Who will who will you liken me to? And and it's a rhetorical question. The answer to that is no one. And why is it? Why is it that he could ask this question? Well, it's because he's set apart. He's holy. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's not like anyone or anything that you could that you that you know or that you're familiar with. This is one of the reasons why we're forbidden to make any sort of a graven image of God. You could never get there. How do you make a graven image of an invisible, holy God? You can't do it. Who are you going to liken me to? Who will you compare me to? Well, there's nobody to compare me to. We'll see when we get to the, the last verse here in, in, in uh, Psalm 99. When you get to verse 9, you see where he's going with all this. Exalt him. Uh, worship him. We've been talking about worship and thinking about worship in John chapter 4. One of the realities that we come face to face with and one of the real, uh, one of the root causes, I think, of all the shallowness that we find in just modern day cultural religion is you have people trying to worship a God that they know nothing about. Scripture hasn't been taken seriously. They, they haven't gone in to see what is it that God has said about Himself. How has God revealed himself to us? And what is it that Christ has revealed about God to us? Well, we begin here. God is not like you. He's not like me. So what does that, what does that really even mean? Well, you can think about it in a few different ways. Revelation um, 15 would give us one application for that. And it would just be the, uh, the exclusivity of God. Look, look in Revelation 15 verse 4. Revelation chapter 15 verse 4. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy for all nations shall come and worship before thee for thy judgments are made manifest and really it's the first half of this verse who shall not fear thee and glorify thy name for that is because here's why i'm saying this because you only are holy in all the earth in all the universe you only are separate set apart and so, since that's the case, who shall not fear you? Who would not glorify your name? But again, we go to Isaiah 57 and we can add a little more clarity here. So, some, so, so God's different or so God's separate. What does that mean? What do we do with a description like that? Well, in Isaiah 57 verse 15, as we're thinking about God's character and God's attributes, tonight we'll be turning to more verses than normal as far as as we go through a psalm. And that's because we're not making these things up. We're, we're trying to see what does Scripture say about this and about God and His holiness. Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, now, I just want to stop there. What does it mean that God is separate? Separate in what way? 
Separate in the way that he is much higher, much more lofty. He inhabits eternity. So separate in the sense that God is completely outside of time. It's not separate in the sense that he's unique and interesting in his own way. It's separate in the sense that he stands above and rules over every other thing that is created. He's lofty, he's high, he's lifted up. And so in a real sense, whenever we're encouraged to exalt the Lord, really all that means is you in your heart put him where he actually is, where he belongs. Why? Because he's holy. There's one throne and there's only room for one God on that throne. And so exalt him, worship him because he's holy. He's holy. First Timothy 6.16 talks about the fact that he dwells in a light that no one can approach. Again, separate. Not like me. Not like you. And then we, we get a, a good illustration, I think, of what Psalm 99, 1-3 is after when we uh, read the account of Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. We've made, we made reference to this maybe last Wednesday or maybe the Wednesday before. I can't remember, but in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah comes into the throne room of God, starting in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so Isaiah is ushered into this throne room where these seraphim, these angels with six wings, and, and with two they cover their feet and two they cover their face and with two they fly and it's just this majestic scene and and as they constantly cry out holy 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 before we get anywhere else we figured out we're in a unique place here we're not talking about men who are bowing the knee to a to another man we're talking about creatures that are far beyond what we know anything about and the only thing they can do is constantly and reverently cry out, holy, holy, holy. And as they do that, the pillars begin to shake. And again, we're in this, I think we, it would be, it would be um, pretty accurate to say, we're in this terrifying scene. I mean, to say tremble at his reign, that's exactly what Isaiah does here, right? Isaiah comes and he sees this and, and his response is, woe is me. I am undone. 
That is, I am falling apart at the seams. He's not like me at all. I can't even stand before him. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And why is this response, woe is me? Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so we come face to face in Psalm 99. At least that's what the psalmist is working to get us to do. To come face to face with the fact that we worship a holy God who reigns over heaven and earth. And if we, if we are indifferent to that reality, or if that reality doesn't grip us, or, or it doesn't move us to stand in awe of who God is, it's simply because our eyes have not seen. And maybe we should say in the present, our eyes are not seeing the king. Because when we get a vision of who he is and what it means for him to be holy, then that elicits a response. What is that response? Well, it's worship. It's worship. His glory fills the whole earth, the angels say. That is his weight, his majesty. And so, we're thinking about Isaiah 6, particularly thinking about Psalm 99. We're being moved, or at least we're being called to worship this holy God by standing in awe of what it means for Him to be holy. He's separate. Separate in a way that were it not revealed to us in Scripture, we would have no words to describe. So, a holy God. Secondly, his holy character. What does it mean again for him to be separate aside from these things that we've seen that he is far above, high and lifted up. His glory fills the earth. The seraphim there in the throne room night and day can only say holy, 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 emphasizing the fact that he is not like me. You know, this is one of the this is one of the problems with the uh, sometimes the efforts that are made uh, to make God more like us. To make God and our relationship to God outside of Christ more of a comfortable type setting. For those who are outside of Christ, for those who have not fled for refuge to Christ, your relationship with God, the, whole, the thrice holy God of the Bible, is anything but comfortable. Because He's holy. And you're not. And it doesn't matter how good and moral and, and, and uh, whatever else you've been, He is far above any of that. It doesn't come close to lining up with His standard of righteousness which is part of what makes him holy. And that's what we're getting ready to look at here in the next couple of verses. Verses 4 and 5. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Now, when, in, when we're reading in this psalm, judgment is going to be interchangeable with justice. Okay? We're talking about God's righteous standard. Okay? His strength also loves justice. Thou doth establish equity. 
Just another way of saying he's established justice, fairness. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. So what should be the response? Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool for he is holy. Okay, So it's not just that he's holy because of who he is in the sense of he's a thrice holy God. Just his existence makes him holy. But his character makes him holy. In what sense? In the sense that he's a God who loves and is perfect in justice and righteousness. In him is light and no darkness at all. 1 John 1.5 Habakkuk 1.13 His eyes are too pure to even behold evil. Why? Because of his character. That's why. It's because he loves righteousness. There's not a hint of, of, of injustice or unrighteousness with him. It's not just that he doesn't like sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. Why? Because he's separate. He's not like me and you. Now, we know what it's like to not like sin. We know what it's like to have a hatred for sin. But we also know that that hatred exists in a love-hate relationship with sin, doesn't it? At our, at our best, that's the way it works. You can love the same sin that you hated yesterday. God's not like that. He's not, there's no appeal there because it's not just, uh, uh, it's not just what he likes or dislikes. It's, it's who he is and what he is. So he's holy. He's holy. Holy in his righteousness. Not just in his character, but in his works. And really his works are the reflection of his character. So we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when God created um, and was finished with creation, it says that he looked and behold, everything he had done was very good. Okay, that's a statement of righteousness. Okay, it was good. It was right. There was no taint of evil or nothing uh, blemishing about any of it. When he created man, we were created upright. And when he created the angels, they were created upright before they fell. Everything that God did and everything that God does is done in perfect righteousness. Perfect justice. Look in Psalm 145. The psalmist picks up on this. Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. See how he puts those two together. Again, just think about that. The Lord is righteous in all of His ways. All of them. That's part of what it means for Him to be holy. Okay, And He is holy in all of His works. Not only is He, is, is he exalted above us, not only is He separate from us, but His works, the things that come from Him, are holy as well. Because they're consistent with who he is. And so we're making our way here through Psalm 99. We're not just getting, 
We're not just getting these facts just to get the facts. He's painting a picture for us of who this God is that we're coming to worship, that we're called to exalt, that we're called to tremble before, stand before, and understand. So a holy God, His holy character, and then we get verses 6-9, through nine, and we see His holy people. His holy people. It says, Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions or their deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. So we've got a glimpse of God's holy character, of who He is and what He's like. Then He turns a little bit here to talk about God's interaction with His people. He mentions three people here. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name. He's talking about God's people here, but really we could go a little further than that and say he's, he's, talking, about, um, he's talking about men that God set apart or set aside. In other words, men that were made holy by God, that were set aside for the purpose of being a mediator for the people of God. Moses went to the Lord on behalf of his people, right? Aaron went to the Lord on behalf of his people. Samuel the judge went to the Lord and even went to the people on behalf of God. So from God's character and just God's essence, he begins to set aside people that might be used to help His people become holy, just like He is. We could, in some ways, we could we do this in a lot of things, but holiness is one of those themes that, that traces its way through the Bible. And you could say, big picture-wise, as far as a, one of the grand narratives of Scripture, is that God throughout history is working to make His people holy so that they can have face-to-face communion with Him. Starting from the Old Testament all the way through. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, familiar passage here. Um, 1 Peter 1.15 but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And we could continue to go on, but I want to stop just for the emphasis of where we're trying to hit here. Peter says to those who are scattered abroad, to those who are chosen by God, beginning of this chapter, you've been called to be holy. Okay? You know this already, but the book of 1 Peter is written to those who are suffering. Those who are under heavy persecution. And Peter, right out of the gate, reminds them, whatever else you do, don't forget the one who called you is holy. And he's called you to be holy too. And don't forget that if you call on the Father who without respect of persons, that is, he's righteous, his judgment is perfect, his justice is without blemish, without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. In fear of what? Well, in reverence, in in reverential fear that I'm living my life before the eyes of a holy God. And He's not a respecter of persons. He's not going to wink at my disobedience. He's not going to make light of my lack of holiness. How do we know that? Because you weren't redeemed with something you could come up with, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so God, who is holy, is making himself and calling to himself a holy people. And so we get some, we get some um, qualities here, for lack of a better term, some aspects of God's holy people. Number one, um, it says in verse six of Moses and Aaron and of Samuel, that they called upon the Lord and He answered them. Okay, so so God's holy people, they they call upon Him. That is, they're brought into a relationship with Him. They're given the spirit of adoption whereby they cry, Abba, Father. But they call upon Him in a very specific way. By that, I don't mean in some sort of a formulaic phrase. We've already mentioned this, but I'll mention it again. Even back in the Old Testament, the Lord was emphasizing and laying the groundwork for this principle. His people call upon Him through a mediator. When when the people wanted to uh, go to God in the Old Testament ceremonial law, they went through the priest. And now, as we call upon the Lord as His holy people... 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 tells us that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. God's holy people call upon Him, or that is, they commune with Him through the person and work of Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 1 tells us that He is our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father. That is, someone who argues our case for us to the Father. You see, a holy people must come to God through a holy avenue, and that holy avenue is Jesus Christ. Now, holiness is something that that is um, is it, it's something that you are positionally right. If you're in Christ, you are holy. There's two aspects to holiness, and if we don't have both of these, we can 
misunderstand and, and really misinterpret Scripture. So there's a real sense in which those who are in Christ have been made holy. Okay, You are saints. That's just short for being sanctified, set apart, holy. All that means the same thing. You are that now because you are coming to God through Christ. But there's also another sense in which you are practically growing into what you've been made. Okay, So when Romans 8.29 talks about you being conformed, this is progressive, conformed to the image or the likeness of Jesus Christ. We're talking about holiness. But this is something that's happening as you put forth effort and you grow in sanctification or you grow in holiness. But but here's the reality. You could not grow in holiness if you were not already made holy in Christ. You have no power to do that in and of yourself. You have no access to God outside of your mediator, outside of your advocate. There's never going to be a time on this planet when you grow to such a degree in your practical sanctification that you don't need a mediator anymore. That's that that will never happen. Okay, so holiness, as far as being the people of God, you've got to emphasize both of those. If you just emphasize the practical side of you got to clean yourself up and you got to grow and you got to be more Christ-like, then really we just go back to Sinai and we find ourselves some more works that we can try to walk in and you will never have assurance for any long period of time because you're a work in progress. But if we just emphasize the fact that you have been made a saint in Christ, that is, holiness is something that you are, you're already that in Him. If we just emphasize that, then your walk with the Lord will be greatly diminished and your, your ability to enjoy fellowship with Him will be greatly diminished as you just try to look at what you are and not what God has told you to grow into. And so we're thinking the same balance here that we get in Ephesians chapter 4, walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith you've been called. Okay, These have to balance out, so we want to keep those in mind. You've got a holy God who is separate, which means try as hard as you want, you'll never get to Him. He is so far above you, Try as hard as you want, you'll never get to Him. But through Christ and through the work of Jesus Christ, He has, and we'll hit some of this here, uh, He has cleansed you from all of your unrighteousness. Remember the last section we just talked about, He's perfect in righteousness, perfect in justice. Christ has taken care of that for you. And then through Christ, you've been given a mediator that while the work of salvation is being played out and the process is being completed in your life, you have access to the Father through your mediator who brings your petitions to Him in a perfectly righteous way. So that even when you ask in clumsy ways, Jesus Christ the righteous knows how to present that to the Father. In just the right way. And so because of that, some of these I'm just going to have to to allude to. Because of that, 
not only does God's people or not only does the Lord's people call upon him, the end of verse six says he answered them. One of the privileges that we have as being his holy people is not just that we call upon him, but it's also that he answers us. Jesus says in John 15, 16, that if we ask anything in his name, that the Lord would answer us. He would give us. Now, there's some stipulations to that. It must be asked in his name or on his behalf. But again, how do you get a holy God who is so far above you and so separate from you that you can't even come close to getting to him because he's holy A couple of aspects of that is his justice and righteousness, which you violate on a daily basis. How are you going to get your prayers to him? Well, even if they got there, how are you going to get him to answer you? And the answer is you can't. But all of that happens through Christ. Verse seven, he spake unto them and the cloudy pillar. That is the cloudy pillar. Um where his presence was known. He speaks to his people. Speaks to his people. Well, you've already guessed it. But when we're thinking about a holy people who are receiving a word from a holy God, how does that happen? Well, Hebrews chapter 1 says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he hath made the worlds. He's spoken to his people. He has spoken once and for all. And how has he done that? Well, it's through Jesus Christ, who's our mediator, who's our advocate, who's our righteousness. He goes on and say that they kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. They kept his testimonies. Here we're thinking now about the practical side of sanctification. The Romans 8.29 being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But even in that, while we're not passive, this is still something that is being done in us and to us. Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them through truth. Your word is truth. They kept his testimonies is what uh, Psalm 99.7 says. The Word of God was was alive. It was active in them. They were being conformed into a holy people through the testimonies of the Lord. And so we think about 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, and all the things that the Word of God is useful for, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished into all good works. A holy people in Christ. Verse 8 says, He answered them, O Lord our God, Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though Thou took His vengeance of their inventions. The word inventions there again just means, this vengeance, it just means that He punished their deeds. So number one, He forgave them. Well, we don't have to say a lot about that because we just sang about it. What can wash away your, your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? What can make you whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We think of Ephesians chapter 1, verse, I think it's somewhere around verse 7, or Colossians 1, 14. It's through Him that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Through whom? Through Christ. The Holy One who makes His people holy by taking away our sin. 
It says he forgave them, but it also says that he took vengeance. That is, he punished their deeds. Well, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Right? Your iniquities were laid on him. Okay? It was your transgressions that he paid for. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord to crush his son. Why? Because your deeds had to be punished. That's why. Your, your deeds had to be atoned for. You could not be, you cannot be a holy people without your sins being atoned for. And that happens in Christ. Now, there's a second aspect to that. We think about punishment from, uh, he punishes their deeds. We think about God doing that from a punishment standpoint. But for a holy people, there's also a chastisement aspect to that. Okay, Our sins are forgiven, but he still chastises us. Hebrews chapter 12. And he chastises us for the purpose that it might bring forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And, and go there because you'll see this really goes full circle to where this whole psalm is. The writer of Hebrews talks about the fact that we had earthly fathers who chastised us and not to despise the chastening of the Lord and no chastening, verse 11, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. That is, them that are disciplined thereby. And then he says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Now get this, follow peace with all men and holiness, okay, Psalm 99, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. How is it that we can rejoice in our chastisement? Because God is using that chastisement to produce holiness in your life, which is preparing you for the day that you will be glorified and see God face to face perfectly holy in His sight. And so Psalm 99 lets us know you worship a holy God and He's a holy God who has a holy character. And this holy God with a holy character is calling to Himself a holy people. And if you're part of that, then what we've just said is part of your inheritance, is part of what God's doing in you and through you. And so what's the response? Verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. The Lord our God is holy. That means you must worship Him in a holy way. That is, we come to Him first and foremost through the person and work of Jesus Christ because we could go through all the motions all day long and it wouldn't amount to anything that would be pleasing in His sight. And then once we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, we continue to come to God through Him, but we also come to God through Him as we walk in His testimonies and we seek to honor Him and as we seek to grow in holiness, for what reason? So that we might have deeper and deeper fellowship with the one who loved us from all eternity. Exalt the Lord. Worship Him at His holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. 
Let's pray. Father, um, we uh, are reminded again tonight of your holiness, the fact that you are not like us. Lord, I pray that you would bless us to be able to uh, to meditate on that reality, that we would be able to grasp that reality in our hearts, that we might tremble before you, that we might come to you in reverence, but also that we might rejoice in what you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ, the Holy One. You've placed us in him. You've you've washed away all of our unrighteousness in him. You've blessed us with a new heart that we might walk in your ways through him. Father, I pray that this would be a reality, that you would bless the spirit to bless our hearts, to bear witness with these realities, that we might rejoice in you and that we might worship you in holiness. Lord, for those here who have not yet professed faith in Christ, for those who have not yet bowed the knee to your holiness, I pray that you would impress this upon their hearts and minds. For those who have, Lord, I pray we would exalt our Savior and all that he's done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.